Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. But this morning, uh, we'll continue on, and I actually get the privilege of closing our time in the book of Galatians. So we'll be in Galatians 5.26, the very last verse of chapter 5, all the way through 6.18. That is 19 verses, y'all. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's some things to talk about there. And so I'm giving you guys some time. If you guys can, turn to Galatians 5.26. Uh, and if you are willing and able, will you stand to your feet as we read God's word together? Love it. All right, before we read this, let me remind you, if, if y'all are just staring at me and ain't talking back during the sermon, I will go longer, okay? And so talk to me. I, if, amen. There we go. Thank you. She got somewhere to be. <laughs> so again, we are in Galatians 5, 26, and it reads this way. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Chapter 6, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of you test his own works and then the, his own works and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Chapter, or verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, uh, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Verse 11, see with the large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not uh, be persecuted for the cross of Christ, for, every tho for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor non-uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers, amen. The very word of God. Listen, my words may not be working today, but I'm going to trust the Lord this morning. Amen? Would you trust them with me? Would you pray as we get ready to jump into the word? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do what only you can do and show us and lead us into a truth that produces life change. 
I pray that you would remove me out of the way, that you would speak to your people that which you need them to hear. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe your truth that will lead to fruit of life change. We pray that in Jesus' name, and your church says, amen. Family, have a seat with me. This morning, I've titled our text, Before I Let Y'all Go. Before I Let Y'all Go. And I think... um, I think Paul is showing his, his age here, because if you've ever been on a phone with someone who has experienced a lot of life, who is seasoned, or maybe they're just Puerto Rican, <laughs> if you talk to somebody, when they say, all right, let me, let, before I let you go, that means they're going to restart the conversation all over again and tell you about two more times, okay? And so we are now at the end of the book of Galatians, and Paul is saying, I got some things to tell you before, before I, I sign my name off. And so in this last verse um, of 526 all the way to 618, uh, Paul is throwing a number of things out there. But I do believe that there is a scarlet thread that runs through the book of Galatians in, these, in this passage that we're going to be in today. And so I want to remind you as we have been in the book of Galatians, what Paul has been doing and his heart in this, in this book has been to fight to keep the true gospel before the believers in Galatia. Meaning, he doesn't want you to believe anything other than the loving kindness of God that has rescued you, not because of your own works, but because of God's loving kindness towards us. And so what he's saying is, is uh, you have begun to be bewitched, he says in Galatians 3, right? Like, oh, foolish Galatian, who bewitched you? Who, who put a spell on you? Who tricked you? That they made you start believing that what started by the Spirit can now be perfected in the flesh. And what he was saying is, is who is making you believe that you can adapt Jewish culture and tradition as a way of helping you be in right relationship with God? Do you not remember that this thing started by God and it is going to be kept by God. And so as he brings us back to this this thread of the book, he is saying, don't fall for the lie that says you need to help God. You ain't helping him. He has done all the work. And so live in that freedom. So Galatians 5 has been walking us through what freedom looks like, meaning we are not enslaved to this old law, this old way of life, but we get to live knowing that we are fully loved and approved by him. And because of that, don't just go and use that freedom for your own good. And so he's reminding us that God's loving kindness has always been the basis of our relationship with him, all the way from Abraham, the the patriarch of the faith, the the father of the faith. If we want to go all the way back, it wasn't even his good behavior that allowed them to have relationship with God. It has always been God's grace that has allowed us to be in relationship with him, his loving kindness towards us. And so the truth is, when we have messed up, God has stepped in. And not only did he step in to point out how we've messed up, he said, I will provide the thing that fixes this all together. And so him stepping in to fix our mess up, he lovingly also said, I'm not going to even leave you there. I'm going to give you my spirit so that you, by my strength, 
can live in relationship with me in a loving manner. That is what he's done. And so he, he has fought to keep that in front of the Galatians. And in this last section of verses, what I do believe that he is also focusing on is making sure that the Galatian church doesn't allow the pendulum to swing now. And what I mean by that is he is saying, now that you have heard that it is by grace that you are saved, it is by grace that you will be kept, what I don't want you to do is be ungracious to the people who have lied to you. I don't want you to get to a place where you begin to be reminded of God's loving kindness towards you and it not move you to love them, but harden your heart towards them. See, that this... This is something we resonate with because when we have understood how we have been hurt, we are, we are absolutely justified in how we treat that person. Well, you've done wrong against me. But the truth is, is if we have received Christ, the loving kindness of God, and all that he has done for us, it should not move us to have hard hearts that hate or even do harm to those people. It actually should move us to do good to them because good has been done to us. He is saying, I don't, I don't want the pendulum to swing the other way. We are working out of this false teaching and now you are standing in truth but don't stand in truth in such a way where you begin to mistreat those that need that same truth. <sighs> That's easier said than done. Am I, am I the only one here, right? It's easier said than done when you begin to feel like, but, but, but they did something to me. They've done wrong to me. The truth of all of this that Paul is, is weaving through the book is that God didn't treat you the way you deserved. Yeah. So what does it look like for you to understand that and treat others even though they don't deserve to be treated with love? Yeah, that's good. This is, I can only imagine Paul as he's, as he's walking the Galatian church to say, listen, you're focused on this law as if it hasn't been fulfilled it's been fulfilled in Christ, but you still need to live this out by loving God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's living out the law. So, if I am here in a room full of people that confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and I believe that I am, I have something to remind us of is that God deeply desires for us to resemble him. If, if you grew up in a household like mine, whenever I went somewhere, my mother made sure I understood you better behave because you are a reflection of me. Don't let me find out that you ain't reflecting me right. That's, that's like... One of those commandments, right? Like, don't take my name in vain. God is saying, listen, don't go out there acting a way that I didn't raise you. Don't take my name in vain. And so what Paul is saying is, is if, if grace has taken hold of our heart, 
the way we behave should reflect that. And I have to believe that the God who desires that we resemble him has made it clear through the past, throughout all of scripture of what it looks like to resemble him. It looks like being a good neighbor. We may not know that because where you live in your, your community, it's probably pretty odd now to know the people that live next to you. That's a very common thing of today. But the truth is, is God is saying, what does it look like for you to look like me to those that I've put in your world? Those that you encounter. I'll say this, talking about a neighbor. How many of you guys have seen The Simpsons? I got a couple. Thank you for not acting too holy in church. Um, Y'all remember the neighbor from The Simpsons? What's his name? Ned Flanders. I always thought he was a good neighbor. He's not. He is not. And it's not, it doesn't help that he is also a churchgoer, but he's like always in their business, really passive aggressive, like really self-righteous towards them, right? Like it's like, that's not a good neighbor. What, what the contrast of Ned Flanders would be, do you guys remember the show Home Improvement? Right? Who, who's the neighbor? Wilson. This is a tall, white man, older white man, who is always available to give good advice and never really asks for anything, but he's always there. Um, that doesn't resonate. I don't have too many tall, white guys in my life. <laughs> Outside of Dan. Outside of Dan. <laughs> Last service, it was Jonah. Now it's Dan. But when I think of a good neighbor, I'm going to bring it a little bit closer to my context. And if you haven't seen the movie, you're, you're behind times. But I'm going to help you know what one of the greatest movies ever made is. In the Heights, there is a good neighbor, and her name is Abuela. They call her Abuela, which is grandmother. She is the grandmother of the community. She has no biological children of her own, but she is always there. In the, in the crazy unpredictable moment when the heat takes out your power and you have no milk, she's the one to say, papi, it's okay. Just put some condensed milk in there and you got cafe con leche. You got coffee with milk. The helpful, the helpful advice. Or she's the one to give you that stern correction to say, Nina, you need to be grateful because of your, your father's sacrifice. Y'all, if y'all haven't watched In the Heights, y'all, y'all <laughs> do yourself a favor. There is nothing but love for Abuela. That's more of my understanding of a good neighbor. Her door was always open. Her table was always always had food, and you were always welcome to eat there. Talk about hospitality. Talk about presence. All to the point where you're saying, what drives a person to do this? Why would somebody behave that way? She had a desire to make sure she served her community well. It's a question that she asked. But as she is getting to the end of her time, and I don't want to ruin the movie, but you've taken too long. As she's getting to the end of her time, she begins to recall all that her Cuban immigrant mother had done for her to be there, and that is why she was who she was. I need you to follow me. Because of what was done for her, it made an impact on how she lived her life towards others. I truly believe 
that Paul is saying, if grace has taken residence in your heart, if it has moved in and began to unpack itself and began to paint the walls and make itself comfortable, it's going to affect some things. It's going to lead to some things. And I believe there's two things that we can see. And the first one is being a good neighbor. Or I could say it in gospel relationships. It's going to look like gospel relationships. And secondly, it'll lead to gospel renewal. A newness of who you are and how you see yourself. So let's talk about this gospel relationship. Let's talk about what it is to be a good neighbor because Paul is beginning to unpack this. In verse 26 of chapter 5, he is saying, hey, don't be conceited. Don't, don't fall in the trap of believing that you are better than somebody. And don't think that, that you are under anybody, that you are less than. What I need you to do is actually see yourself the way God sees you, to be reminded that the grace that was given to you was a loving gift towards you, not because you earned it, but because he loved you and wanted you to get that. And it wasn't that you didn't deserve anything, but he gave you his image, and so you look like him. So there was, you're not above anybody, you're not below anybody, you're exactly where you're supposed to be when you understand grace. And so that gospel relationship, it says, before we go anywhere and thinking about how you treat somebody, make sure you don't have a wrong view of yourself, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Because I want you to see what it does look like to be a good neighbor. And he goes on in verse 6 and 1, and he says, brothers, notice how he's using familial language, brothers and sisters. He says, that if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them. He's saying you that have been loved well, that has seen somebody acting outside of themselves, it's on you to go restore them. And the word restore in its original language is painting a picture of realignment. When you have dislocated a bone or a shoulder, like, like if you ever dislocated your shoulder, you got to realign it to its proper place. Troy, who does our coffee, uh, we work out the same gym, and we were working out one time, and he dislocated his thumb mid-workout. And he looks at me, and he's like, bro, I need, you got to pull it. You just got to pull it. It's like the coolest moment ever. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. And sure enough, it was like, pop, and back in alignment. I restored to him what was out of line. Listen to me. This picture is telling us that restoring isn't always pleasant. It's, it's painful. But it's pain, painful for a good. When you restore someone, you have to do it in a spirit of gentleness. See, I don't think anybody in this room, Big, big C Church talking-wise, no one in the church has a problem on pointing things out. Oh, that's what you want me to do? I, listen, I, I, can, I can sit down and tell everybody, you know? But the spirit of gentleness says, I, I want to come close to you. I want to see your well-being. I don't just want you to know how you're wrong. I want to walk with you to see you healthy. 
So restore in a spirit of gentleness because when you're not doing it that way, you're just being brutal at that point. You're being mean. And the church likes to just, I'm being honest. I'm keeping it real. 100 emoji, right, Ethan? 100, 100, fire, fire, fire. That's not, that's not what Paul is calling us to do. He's saying, no, 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 restore. Put things back in a line in a spirit of gentleness in a way that you are helping them and you are reminding them that you are there for them. You don't believe me yet? He goes on in the second verse to say, bear one another's burdens. You know what a burden is? It's a heavy load. It's a, it's a heavy weight. And the truth is, I can't carry anything of yours that I'm not close enough to help you with. You can't bear someone's burden that you're not close with or close to. If you are thinking that my responsibility as a Christian is just to simply say like, oh yeah, you suck there. The truth is most of us are like, bro, I knew that. (laughs) I knew that. What does it look like for you to say, let me come close to help you up with that? Now here's the thing. It ain't easy. You know why? Because it inconvenience you the most. It, it, it don't pay dividends. It, it's not there that you're going to walk out the door and everyone's going to be like, wow, Ramon, you helped this person so much. You are so amazing. That which is going to cost you is not rewarded by what you typically want to be rewarded with. But to bear that burden, he goes on to say, you then, by doing that, you fulfill the law of Christ. What is that? That's, that's, a, that's like a, I feel like you got to go to school to know that. To fulfill the law of Christ is simply to say that you are doing what Christ came to do in the first place. You need an example of a good neighbor? Can I introduce you to Jesus? The one who willingly took off flesh, or, or took off glory and put on flesh that came down close to you and I to lift our burden of rebellion and sin off of our shoulders to give us a new identity. And you know what? We had nothing to offer him. And yet he still did it because of his loving kindness. And so to be a good neighbor, to live in gospel relationship with one another, is to say, I want to be the Christ that found me in my lowest, to be Christ to you in your lowest. Not to be worshipped, but to remind you that you and I worship a loving and, and, and beautifully merciful God. If grace has taken residence in your heart, It bears the fruit of how you live in relationship with others. There is no way, as Pastor Derek said last week, like there is no Christian who is bearing fruit but has not loved, is not serving one another. In Galatians 5, 13 and 14, he's saying, don't use your freedom for yourself. Use it to serve others. For the Christian in the room that's always focused on making sure they're good, I have a question to you. When was the last time you looked around your world and said, where are the burdens that I can help lift? 
Where are the burdens that I can come alongside my brother and sister or maybe someone who doesn't even know Christ to lift? Now, what burden could be to look at a friend in a season of life and say, yeah, you guys are sleep deprived. You got that baby and they, he, they're, they're working every opposite hour of your sleep. Let me just come and, and stay with your child for a little bit so you guys can rest. So that when you experience physical rest, you'll be reminded that there's a God inviting you into spiritual rest. Let me lift that burden with you in that moment. Or it could be a difficulty. You know what? Um, it's not easy to say that I'm giving that thing up. And there are just days on the calendar that remind you that you should just go and partake in a certain thing that makes you feel a certain way. And so rather than leaving you there by yourself on a Friday night, I'm going to just come and sit with you and remind you that you're not alone. And when it's tough, you're not doing this by yourself. Let me bear that burden with you. When was the last time we looked around and said, what is your burden that I can step into? Because I am reminded that there was a loving God who stepped into my burdens and got close to me. And when I had no ability to lift anything, he lifted it all. To make a burden light. And, and, And Paul is bringing us back to this thought of looking at what Christ has done for you because he he wants you to be reminded that this burden lifting, this restoring was done by Christ for you. You know what that means? You're just as jacked up as those that you want to help. Don't forget that the same grace that you are looking at somebody and saying, I wish you understood, was there a moment in your life that you needed that same grace to be believed in? Yes. Don't you forget, because you're one bad decision from being in that same lowly place as that person that you're saying, well, do I want to inconvenience myself to help? I'm hoping that we see a loving and gracious God towards us that fills us and moves us to resemble that to others. Paul is saying, now now that you know this grace and you've held on to this grace and you are fighting to make sure you believe nothing but the gospel of grace, don't think too high of yourself. Don't think too low of yourself. Think of yourself the way God has seen you. His loving child. And so... What this does for us is reminds us that when we live from a place where grace has gripped our heart, we will continue to live a life that honors God, where we will look at our life and be able to say, God, by your strength, I have lived to honor you. I have loved my neighbor well, showing that I understand your love for me. And because of that, what he says in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 6 I no longer have to judge myself or compare myself on how everybody else is doing. I can look at my own load and say, by your grace, God, I have been trusting you to lift this thing. So when he says you have something to boast in, what he's saying is, is have, you, have you trusted me? 
Rather than boasting and saying, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not the ones teaching this false gospel. I'm not the one making people get circumcised. No, no, no. I have believed your grace. And I am holding on to that daily. And I will treat others that way. The way you have treated me. That is what it looks like to begin to live out a good, being a good neighbor. Having gospel relationships. The reason why I say and even tag this gospel relationships, because the same way you buy your chicken because it's organic is different than the other chicken, right? Oh, okay, everybody spends. I, I know our church. Half of y'all are definitely buying organic because of the tag. Praise the Lord for that, for his provision in your life. But there is something different about that organic chicken and chicken. There is something deeply different about relationships and gospel relationships. Relationships will function to satisfy you where a gospel relationship says, I have been fully satisfied in Christ and that's why I love you. Oh, it's a different type of relationship. And as he goes from there, it, it, Paul is like, Paul is the king of run-on sentences. I, I, I love him for it because he makes me feel good about how terrible my writing is. Um, and so he's now like, he's going through these verses. And there's, there's so much there, but he's like, I, I just need to, I, before I let you go, before I let y'all go, let me, let me just make sure I said everything that I need to, to, to just say. It's like your mom, she got to go to work. That, that house needs to be clean. She's like walking out the door. She's like, you better do the kitchen, your room, under your bed. I don't want to see, right? Let me just make sure I say everything before I go. And there's so much there from verses 6 through 18. But one of the verses that I think anchors this all together is 6.15, where he says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What Paul is saying is, is the way we treat one another, the way we love one another is a reflection of how God has loved us. And that does not happen unless we understand who we are in Christ. We are no longer our old self. We, 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 don't, we don't base ourselves on how we've done, how we've achieved. We see ourselves as children of God because of his work in doing. A new creation. Not, not the old way, not the, the traditional law-bearing way of doing things, but a new creation. And let me say this as we jump into that really quick, as I'm bringing us to a close this morning. Paul is making it clear that a believer is renewed. No one comes to Christ and stays the exact same. It just doesn't happen. If you come to Christ and no change has happened, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you this, you may not have come to Christ. And if that's hard to hear, it's actually good news. Because this is reminding you that Christ welcomes us into, by his loving kindness. And so when we think of this, this gospel renewal is a new identity. The reason why I believe Paul is saying this is because what easily happens to all of us 
to them and to us is to say, ah, okay, so then this good behavior is what you're looking for. I can behave that way. Paul is making it clear that God is not looking for behavior modification. He is looking for new creations in him to live out the way he's called them to live. There is no going around God's way. There is no going around God's grace. Well, a little bit of grace, a little bit of me, I think I'm a Christian. No. The reality of Christianity is more about an inward change than it is about the external observing of behavior. It's more about what God has done in you that bears fruit to love people than it is to just simply go and love people. Because loving people can lead to corruption. That's what he's talking about when you, you sow that seed. You sow that seed of the flesh. Well, I do nice things because I like people telling me that I'm a good person. But if you are sowing in the spirit and saying, I have been loved by God and I love because he has loved me so well, you actually sow into eternal life, that which is to come. This is the beautiful truth of a new creation, that the gospel changes our future. That you and I have a place in God's kingdom, in his world. There is no place now for us who have put our faith in Jesus, who have held on to his loving kindness, where we wake up one day and he's like, ah, you didn't make the cut. There is a guarantee for what is to come for us. The gospel has changed our future. The gospel changes our present. It changes the way we view ourselves. The gospel now says that your God, who has made you in his image, has removed every obstacle so that you can have relationship with him. You are his beloved child. Not because of what you've done, but because of the perfect one, Jesus Christ. Your presence has changed. Who you are is different. And it definitely affects the way we relate to one another. I no longer have to build my own kingdom and make sure I get the most out of you and I, and I hoard and greed as much as I can. I have a security that no one can take from me. Who I am is secure. I am fully loved, approved, and accepted. My significance is founded in the one who is forever. And so now I just get to remind you of that same truth for you and not try to get something out of you. You know what the beautiful thing about being a good neighbor is? Is being a good neighbor, you are actually preaching the gospel to yourself again. When you love someone, when they're unlovable, you are reminded that you were unlovable at one point. When you forgive someone despite their doings towards you, you are reminded that a loving God forgave you. When you draw close and give of your presence, you are reminded that there is a God who is always present with you. When you find someone in their loneliness, you are reminded in those dark, lonely times, your God has never forsaken you. Being a good neighbor, if we are going to be a true good neighbor, is going to come from a renewed identity, 
understanding who we are through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And when that happens, the way we treat one another, the way we love one another, we are reminded that we love because he loved us first. We are reminded that the grace that we see the world deeply in need of, I too am in need of that grace. So being a good neighbor is not because you're better than that person. It's not being a good neighbor because you're trying to win something because you're lower than that person. Being a good neighbor is because you understand that you and I have had the greatest neighbor ever. The one who has stepped into our greatest problems. The one who has truly restored us with the spirit of gentleness, the one who bared our burdens, the one who saw our mess and didn't just leave us. Being a good neighbor is understanding that we have had the best neighbor of all. As I close this, I think of Jesus on his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He's preaching about the, the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God, the, the, the relationship that has, is being restored and being built, all that is being restored back to the way it was meant to be, because that is happening, everything is flipping upside down. And he says something really, I think, pivotal in verse 16 of chapter 5 of Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I believe Paul's desire for the Galatian church was that their good works, them being a good neighbor, would lead to those false teachers and those who have done wrong against them to come to the truth and understanding of the gospel of grace. That those that are watching, those that we get to be a good neighbor to, they will see our good works and they will give glory to our Father. Church, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a time to walk through your, your word, the space of life, the substance for our body, and I pray that we would not leave the same. I thank you for allowing us to walk through the book of Galatians as a church, to see that the gospel of grace, this love for us is not because we've earned it but it has been freely gifted to us so I pray this morning that we would know that when we when grace is taking residence in our heart when it has fully moved in and unpacked it will lead to good works a good works that is not trying to earn something but is secure in their new identity because of this grace we thank you for what you're doing would you continue as we go on our way. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.